All right. Today, this is Chelsea from Cash Valley Counseling on the Puzzle of Us podcast. And I have Spencer Dutson joining me today, who is also a counselor here at Cash Valley Counseling. And uh, he's going to be talking to us today about grief and trauma and kind of what the differences is and what do we look for and what what can we expect and when someone says they're grieving versus trauma, what, what kind of all that looks like. So we're super excited to have him dive in. Um, but first, I also want to just introduce Spencer a little bit. He is a therapist here at Cash Valley Counseling, like I said, and he's been doing therapy for five years now. About years. Yeah. yeah, about then. And uh, he is specialized in EMDR, which is just a, a training that, or a specialized training in therapy that's a, used more widely with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has a little bit more of a trauma-focused background, and uh, that's why he's talking to us about grief and trauma today, and we're excited to hear from him. So anything more you'd like to add about, about yourself, Spencer? Um, I mean, like as a therapist, I would also add that I do a lot of couples therapy, um, and that heavily informs a lot of the trauma work that I do. Um, I often tell people that you can't really experience trauma outside of relationships or outside of a relational kind of lens. And so that heavily influences how I see things and how I work as well. Um, Other than that, I think that about sums it up. I'm not too complicated of a person. (laughs) Yes. Well, we're, we, we love having him at Cash Valley Counseling. He's a fantastic resource for not only the, the company here, but also for many of our clients. And there's, he does fantastic work with, with people. And uh, I am excited to talk to you a little bit more today to help our listeners kind of understand grief versus trauma. So tell me, are they really different? Yeah. So that, that's a tricky question because when it comes to looking at grief versus trauma, in many ways, there are a ton of crossover, um, right? So many things that you experience in grief, basically, if it happens long enough, it could be considered traumatic or more of like a trauma response than a grief response. Um, and similarly, based on the intensity level of that, it might be considered traumatic as well, right? And so one of the things that I like to remind people of is our perspective is our reality. And so there are like some very specific clinical things that we can get to later about like what is like trauma specifically and what is like grief specifically. But I like to start with just an explanation of perspective because how you experience something and how you look at it and how you experience it kind of determines the trajectory of, is this gonna lead to a more, like more of a grief response or is this gonna lead to more of a a trauma response? So like for something to be, for, for someone to be considered to be experiencing grief, what like the textbook says is you have to experience loss. So that could be loss of anything, really. I think in the past, it used to be connected to a loss specifically of like losing a a close friend, a family member, like death kind of loss. But now I think in the field of like therapy, we're understanding that loss is much broader than that, right? So grief can be really connected to a loss of like a job, a loss of a relationship, um, a loss of a loved one, a loss of a pet um, or animal. And sometimes too, that loss can even be what I would call like a vicarious loss, where maybe the person didn't experience that loss directly, like it was more like a friend of theirs lost a loved one, for instance, but they experienced like a a high level of grief because of that. Um, But anyways, if you have that like grief experience, that loss experience, 
and then it, it can become something traumatic, right? So let's say that I do lose a loved one to like a car accident, for example, which I know is an experience that unfortunately many people have had. And, you know, at first, it's most likely going to be that you're experiencing grief, right? You're going to be experiencing um, some of those like deep and powerful emotions, you know, maybe that lasts for a few hours or a few days. Um, you're going to notice yourself feeling like maybe a little bit depressed, a little bit anxious, um, on edge. You might have a hard time like going about life because it just feels like you're kind of moving through sludge, like those kinds of experiences, right? But then depending on how you experience that loss, you might come out of it more with like a PTSD trauma kind of experience. And another person who experiences that loss too, like if there's a shared contact there, they might have more of a grief response, which is basically going to just be a little bit less intense and probably last a little bit like shorter in terms of time duration and stuff. And so we can, again, get like lost in the weeds of what's the difference between grief and trauma. And is there a difference? Yeah, totally. If you're not feeling good, though, you should probably just be focused on how am I going to get feeling better, right? And having, I think, a therapist that understands the difference between those two experiences can be very, very helpful because there are some specific, like, different things that you might do and how that might look. Yeah, so grief, it, it really is maybe a shorter period, what you would be experiencing almost immediately after a loss. Mm -hmm. And trauma is more of that longer term, it's been five years now and I still can't get in a car or whatever it might be. That's kind of maybe one of the more of the markers of grief versus trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are some more um, obvious differences between the two? What should people really kind of be looking for being able to identify what am I, what are, what am I really experiencing? Yeah. So let me do my best. And if I need to like clarify or like talk, touch on some different points, let me know. Because one of the things that is so exciting to me about trauma and what brought me into the, the world of trauma therapy is that you kind of, it, it can come from lots of different places and it can present in lots of different ways. And so someone who experiences trauma, and I would add grief for that matter, they might present more predominantly depressed or they might present more predominantly anxious or maybe even like something else entirely, right? Like trauma has a lot of different manifestations and it's all about like getting to kind of like what the root of this experience is. Like, well, why are you experiencing that? Is it because of some significant event that happened to you or is it something else entirely? And so because of that, it can get kind of complicated in terms of like what causes it or what it looks like, but I'll, I'll do my best. So like I said before with grief, grief is usually going to be characterized within that loss, right? So I experienced some level of loss. For someone to fit the criteria for like a more intense, what's called a stress-related disorder, like I'll focus on PTSD in particular, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, you have to have what's called a life-threatening experience. And so life-threatening in this instance or uh, could could look like a lot of different things, right? It could be, you know, you have a life-threatening experience, like you could have died in, a, in an accident or, or like a war kind of scenario, or maybe you're like a paramedic or a firefighter or something, right? Like that kind of thing. Or it's something that you witnessed and you were kind of like close by, right? Like, let's say with like a car accident, let's say I'm at a stoplight and someone runs a red light and I see them get in this car accident and maybe someone passes away or gets like 
taken away by an ambulance kind of thing and it's like a really intense circumstance or situation like that that would be more of like a ptsd um, trauma kind of experience right because it's that significant life-threatening experience that a person survives so that could happen in any point in their life right whether it happened in childhood you know teenage years adulthood years uh whenever and so those are like two very big distinguishing differences between grief and trauma grief on the one hand is that loss experience and trauma on the other hand is usually a very intense life-threatening type experience but remember it's perception right so I work with many, many people who I would classify as having more of like a PTSD trauma kind of thing versus like a grief thing. But per the textbook, they don't meet criteria because it wasn't like life threatening for them, but their body is responding as if it were, right? And so let me talk about some of the more common symptoms of like PTSD that may kind of be indicative as well if that's where someone might be. So they include things like um, an avoidance of triggering circumstances, situations, people, places, that kind of thing. Um, having flashbacks, which is a relived experience of what happened to you or something that occurred in the past that could range from just like a, a minor kind of flashback where you might just kind of feel off and not really know why to a more like re relived experience where it's like you're seeing this thing happening. You're like, some of your senses are kind of actually bringing you back to that event, like smells from the event or felt feelings, like experiences that you have during the event, that kind of thing. Um, nightmares is often, nightmares or night terrors is often a really common thing of PTSD. Um, there's gonna be some level of uh, attempts to mitigate the effects of PTSD. So like the trigger avoidance is the one thing that I mentioned earlier, but it could also include things like, um, I'm going to, you know, not allow myself to feel certain feelings because I know that might take me down a path that I don't want to go down, right? That's maybe a common thing that I see a lot of. Um, and so those are some of the more common like PTSD things. Um, on the grief side of things, symptoms, like I said before, are going to be more like, you know, you might feel like depressed, like down, sad, um, have a hard time like managing your mood or getting out of bed. You might have like sleep disturbances where you like can't fall asleep or you can't stay asleep. Or when you wake up, you just feel like drained. Um, people with grief can have like nightmare experiences, but usually they're going to be very much connected or tied to that loss. Um, and again, should be fairly temporary and not last for a very long time. Um, you might have more of that anxiety, right? Like people who, you know, lose a loved one, it's very common for them to feel pretty anxious about losing someone else um, while they're kind of working through their grief because they just can't even imagine going through that again. And so they get kind of stuck in that anxiety. Um, those are kind of some of those examples of like how grief might show up. So again, I could probably spend like hours talking about this, but I'll, I'll shut up now. What does that help? Absolutely. And I think that that helps sort of clarify. I mean, it, it's kind of muddy, right? Like there's, there's a lot of crossover between grief and trauma and, and what people are experiencing, but it, the, again, for grief, it, it's more of maybe a, not even a short-term thing, because I think grief also, I think of like anniversaries and things like that, like when birthdays come up or you know, holidays or things like that, grief kind of resurfaces. It's not like you're going to get over it or, but you're not necessarily avoiding 
the triggers. Like that's more of a trauma thing, right? That, that you're sort of just completely avoiding um, people, places, sounds, smells, certain things, maybe more of a trauma response or can produce some of that. But grief can kind of be an ongoing reoccurring thing as well. Mm-hmm. And they can kind of be in the same, but they're also different. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, in, in kind of speaking about grief too, um, it, I just, sometimes I, I think grief, people associate it with that loss, right? That specific, I have lost somebody, um, like physically they've died. But I also, in some of my clients, um, in talking to them about, you know, maybe they had a pretty chaotic childhood and their parent didn't show up for them the way that they really hoped for. And so we actually talk about um, grief of the loss of a relationship that they expected or thought they should have or wished they would have. Um, You know, sometimes even people later, let's say they had a fine childhood with their parent, but then their parent gets Alzheimer's and they're sort of grieving the loss of a relationship, even though that person physically isn't dead, but they now have transitioned and they're no longer, the relationship has changed in some way. And so I think sometimes people don't realize that about grief, that it doesn't necessarily have to be someone dying or something happening, something like going away physically from me. Um, but they can kind of take on these other forms as well that I think maybe sometimes people aren't necessarily aware of. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of speak to that, can I talk a little bit about like the window of tolerance, which I know is like a therapy term, right? But let me explain this to you all. So like whenever we experience an emotion, a thought, a feeling, any of that kind of stuff, there's this theory out there called the window of tolerance where the experience is going to land within this window. If you imagine like a box, right? Where if it lands within that and I can like handle it, it doesn't go outside the box. I process through it. I make sense of it. And then I kind of move on. Not to say that I'm not like sad or anxious or distressed by it. I can just work through it. Right. Well, if I experience something again, predominantly a feeling, but could be in my mind, you know, a thought or a physical feeling that I have or another experience, it's, and it's too big for me to process or make sense of, it's going to fall outside of my window of tolerance. And you're going to go to one of two extremes where this is a spectrum, right? So it doesn't have to look like these extremes exactly, but you're going to probably lean more towards one side versus the other. On the one hand, you might go to the hypo arousal place. Now, hypo arousal is where you kind of shut down. You're turning your feeling off as a way to cope and make kind of move through the experience, but you're not really moving through it. You're just kind of like setting it aside, shutting it down, bottling it up to be able to kind of survive and move on. It's a very protective thing. On the other hand, you might go to the other extreme, which is called hyper arousal, which is also a kind of protective thing, but it's actually like you kind of diving headfirst into the emotional experience and the emotional experience or the thing you're going through kind of controls you, right? Whether that's like a, you become an anxious mess and have a panic attack, or maybe you kind of get shut down and you can't even like get out of bed, right? That could be a kind of hyper arousal too, especially if you've got like those racing thoughts while you're there, that kind of thing, right? And so you're going to go to one of those two extremes. I'm bringing that up because as you talk about that experience that people can have, Chelsea, of, you know, grieving a loss almost like retroactively, you know? 
Mm -hmm. I think what happens is people go to predominantly that hypoarousal place of they experience something and to be able to just even survive, they just have to push it down and bottle it up that then when they can't do that anymore, because eventually it's going to like bubble up or it's going to explode out, then they have to make sense of that grief. Then it's almost, I explained to people, like, it's almost like you put it in this like time capsule. And when you do finally address it or give space for it, whether it's because you did that voluntarily or you're forced to because your body's like, we can't hold this anymore, then you're processing that grief now, but you've experienced it and you've had it for probably a long time, right? And that's super common. I see that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just speaks to grief being a little bit more common and maybe it's something that we don't talk about as often, you know, if we talk about it in those big moments of, of big loss, but really that grief kind of happens all the time for a lot of us. Um, but trauma being that, that kind of bigger event sort of thing that's, that's happening and and maybe not even a bigger event. I shouldn't say it that way, but, um, just kind of that thing that, that lasting thing that keeps coming back. And, and then we alter our lives based on those experiences. We yeah. don't go places, we don't have relationships with people, we we limit ourselves or we let that dominate us rather than it, we controlling it or yeah. it controlling us, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, that window of tolerance, I think, you know, I, I think that's a great way to think about this is if if I, as people sort of ask, who have experienced grief or even trauma, um, if it lands within my window of tolerance, like I, I often have people ask me questions like, well, how come that car wreck didn't affect me? Like it affected my mom or it affected my sister or it affected my whatever, like someone else who was pretty much there at the same time or experienced a lot of the same things, but I experience it different or, or, I'm not having the reactions that someone else in that same experience is. And that just speaks to that window of tolerance in that some people just, their window of tolerance might be smaller. It might be bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then on those extreme ends, we see the hyper arousal and the hypo arousal. Mm-hmm. Um, you gave a few examples, but are there some other examples of like the hypo arousal and the hyper arousal of outside those windows? Like what do you, do you see most often or is the most common sort of responses in that hypo arousal and hyper arousal? Yeah, so I think the easier one to talk about is the hypo arousal because I feel like people don't have as many options when they go there. Um, because again, the predominant response is basically if I were to summarize it, I would say, I'm telling myself whether verbally, non-verbally or it just happens, right? this is too big, I can't handle this, so I'm not going to. And I'm going to push it down, I'm going to bottle it up, I'm gonna cage it up, and I'm gonna throw the key away. Um, so that hypoarousal, again, it, it looks like, you know, feeling an emotional experience or it going through an experience and turning yourself off to it, where you're getting some space between yourself and that experience. And so like how that looks on the outside is really tricky because half the time people don't know that that's what's going on because people get so good at just kind of like putting on that happy face, kind of the fake it till you make it kind of mentality maybe. And so it's really tricky to see it 
But if we were to like open up the hood, so to speak, and look in, you would see pretty much the same thing across the board of someone who is just pushing that down, balling it up and pushing it away. And so like maybe on the outside, what you would see is um, a, a really strong dislike to any kind of emotional experience that could even be happy emotions, right? If the emotion is too strong, subjectively to that person, of course, then they might, you know, get really upset or frustrated or think it's ridiculous or like, man, you shouldn't feel that way. Or why am I feeling this way? Like, I shouldn't feel this way. Um, you might see some of those kinds of things. On the flip side of the hyper arousal, um, you're going to see a lot more of those, I think, external things, right? Um, so you're going to see some, someone who like gets really anxious or really nervous or jittery on one hand, or you might see more of like, um, like I gave the example of like a depressed person who maybe like has a hard time getting out of bed. And I put that in the hyper arousal place because it's the emotional experience controlling them instead of them controlling that experience. Yeah. So when someone is like that hype, when you're talking about someone not getting out of bed, because that's really what's controlling them. So that's that hyper arousal part, even though it looks like they may not be really feeling something um, or they're, they're, it's just being more there. It's controlling them more. That's more of the hyper arousal. Yeah. Um, and a hypo arousal, as you're describing that, I would, I see that as being someone who from the outside looking in looks relatively unaffected by it. Like my day was going, this is how I acted and how I responded. And then I get in this major event, have a car wreck, whatever. And then I'm kind of the same after like yeah. that, that might be a little tricky in that is that, did that just land within their window of tolerance and that person really is okay? Or are they just bottling everything up, shoving it down? And really it looks the same as someone who ha is having hyper arousal, everything's the same inside, but on the outside, they really are looking like they're okay. Yeah. And, you know, one of the like biggest tells of that is, is when things don't quite match up. Um, so like, for example, you might be talking with someone who did go through something really horrific, right? Um, whether it's a grief thing or a trauma thing and you as a friend or as a supporting person are like, man, that sounds like really, really hard. Like, are you okay? And they just don't really express anything. And it's just like, mm -hmm. yeah, why wouldn't I be? Or yeah, I'm fine. Like there's, and you get that like off feeling as you're talking to them of like, this doesn't seem like right, you know, like people who usually have processed through their stuff can take ownership and acknowledge the difficulty for what it was and still have a level of like optimism, optimism or like forward momentum. So they might say something like, yeah, that was like one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. And I really struggled for a long time. And I'm so grateful that like now I'm kind of through that. And, you know, here are the things I've maybe learned or kind of gained from that or experienced because of that. You know, it's like you can kind of like see and feel that versus like a kind of like almost like that disconnect. You can sense it when it's like, man, you seem like you should be really not okay, but you just like are so fine with this. It doesn't match. Yeah. Okay. So that would be someone if someone is worried about someone in their life having just gone through either something grieve they're grieving or um, even something traumatic. If mm -hmm. they're getting that mismatch in emotions, like, man, that seems really hard, but yet you seem totally fine. Or they're getting 
some some kind of disconnect in some emotions, that might be an, an indication that that person really isn't okay and really hasn't processed through what they need to. Um, can we speak to that for just a second? How would, how would someone support them? I and mean, obviously there's so many situations in which they might do this, but like, how do you approach someone like that? How do you say, hey, I don't think you're doing okay? Um, you know, I think a lot of people just maybe be fearful of that, of like, well, I don't want to tell them that they're okay. If they feel like they're okay, I don't want to make it not okay. And yeah. so they don't say anything. Um, but like, how, how might someone approach someone, particularly in that maybe hypo arousal phase? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'll give I'll give some generalities, and I think it has to kind of hinge on the kind of person by person scenario and situation, right? So, if someone is looking a little more hypo arousal, right? Like someone has yeah. is seeming okay, um, or or doing okay, and then they experience something, and then they are sort of in this hyper. Things aren't really matching up. How might someone approach them? talk to them, help them get support, maybe bring it to their awareness of like, eh, I maybe don't think you're quite okay. Like how, what would you suggest people, people do? Yeah. So that's a great question. And so when it comes to that hypo arousal, where it's like more of that shutdown and that mismatch, um, one of the things that I would say, well, well, first of all, I should clarify, like, this is going to vary from person to person and hopefully these generalities help. Um, but it is kind of like a case by case situation or scenario, I think. So the first thing I would say is that we have to understand that it's the person who went through the experience. It's their kind of like responsibility, if that's a word I could use to take ownership of their experience and to find that healing, right? That with hypo arousal, they have to go through that process of looking inside and kind of owning the fact that, hey, I'm not really okay with this and this is affecting me and so I need to kind of do something about it. And the reason why I say that is because if you're a helper, kind of like in a caretaking or helping position, you shouldn't feel like it's your job to heal them for them, right? And so my kind of best recommendation that I give is just, you gotta be able to do whatever you do best to create what I call an open door policy or environment where someone can talk about that stuff. And so what I mean by that is you've got to be able to like reflect back to the person what you're experiencing. That can be very, very valuable because some people get so good at bottling things up that they almost, and I say this tentatively, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but it's like they get really good at like telling themselves that there's not, a, that's not an issue anymore. Like they're lying to themselves but it's not like they're like purposely doing that. I don't want it to sound like that. It's just, they get so used to bottling it up that they tell themselves it's not an issue, right? And so you reflecting back to them like, hey, I get the sense that you should not be okay from this. Like if I were in your shoes, I would be really struggling. That can be extremely valuable to say because you're giving them a chance to kind of reflect on their experience and be like, okay, well, wait a minute, is that like, should I be in a different place? Like, should I be struggling with this more? And I'm just not. And like, why am I maybe okay with it? Is it because I've worked through it healthily? Can I identify those things? Or is it because I'm kind of avoiding it and following it up? So yeah, being able to ask or kind of reflect back your own experience can be very, very helpful at the beginning. And then from there, giving that open door of like, hey, if you want to talk about this, when you're ready to talk about this, I want you to know that I can be that person that I'll listen to you, I'll hear you, I'll be empathetic to you and that kind of thing. 
And so that would be my second recommendation is after you've kind of established that like open door, that environment of like, if they go into that doorway and into that place with you, your role in that position or that place is your presence more than anything that uh, we try to go into fix it mode, right? Like, oh, well, maybe you should do this or do that and you feel better. Really, we just want to make sure we're giving that person space to be able to feel, to be able to talk. And so you like being empathetic and understanding as much as you can without trying to tell them what to do or how to live their life can be very, very helpful when someone's stuck in that like hypo arousal kind of place. It's just that space, right? That space to kind of feel and giving them permission to do that when they don't even give themselves that permission. So yeah, after you've created that like space, right? Where they feel like they can go through that door. The next recommendation is just like, what does that space actually look like? And the thing that I think is most helpful is you've got to be able to create a space where they can give themselves permission to finally start to feel and process some of their stuff that maybe they have kind of bottled up. And so really just, if I could say anything, it's just your presence, right? Being with the person in an understanding and empathetic way, as much as you're able, is going to be the most helpful. Try to avoid like that fix it mentality or trying to like make it better for them or telling them how they should live their life. And please never tell them how they should be feeling <laughs> because that can be very, very damaging, especially when someone already doesn't know how they're feeling because they bottled it up or pushed it down or whatever. And so again, it's just creating that space where they can just own their feelings and do that when it's so hard for them to do that otherwise. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great point because we all, we see people hurting. We as yeah. humans see other people hum, hurting and we want to help them fix it, take it away, make it better. And so we often give suggestions like, well, you should go see a therapist or you should go to the gym or you should like, we have, we tend to try to, and it comes from a great place most of the time, but oftentimes it really doesn't make things better. So really making an environment that they feel comfortable and when they are ready can come to you and say hey I think I'm not okay or I think I might need some help creating that is is really more key is what you're saying which is really yeah and that's not even to say that we should necessarily avoid saying some of those things like like from the example from earlier right if you're feeling like this person is like off and they're not owning this stuff and you are worried about that to say that right I think it's about the approach that we use and making sure that the approach is one of giving them that open door, but not forcing them through that door, right? So there's a big difference between saying to a friend or a family member, you need to go to therapy and guess what? I've already scheduled the appointment for tonight and I'm gonna drive you there and make sure you go, right? <laughs> Versus being like, hey, you know what? I thank you, like, I'm, I'm so grateful you were able to open up to me about some of this stuff. And I just like, if I'm being honest, I'm a little bit worried about you. And this feels like maybe bigger than I can even help you with, you know, have you considered going to talking to a therapist maybe? And what would that be like for you? Or how can I help support you in that? Like there's a very different feeling between those two approaches, right? And the latter is gonna be much more helpful for someone. And you probably should say something like that if you're feeling like, man, this is big. And like, I think this person should get some extra help kind of deal. Yeah. And I think to, to add to that, oftentimes those I shoulds or you shoulds come with a lot of judgment or come without the support, right? Of like, yeah. 
you should go do something about that. And it's more of like that hands-off approach of like, yeah. well, I don't really know how to help you. So maybe you should try this. And, yeah. and that's, that's really what's not helpful about the you shoulds, right? But have you thought of, or have you considered, or you should go try some therapy? How can I help support that? And again, not over stepping boundaries and doing it for them or forcing them there, those sort of things, but, and, and not from a judgmental place either, but from a, a place of, of really truly wanting to help them move through their experience. Yeah. Um, what are some, what are some more things of what's more of a grief thing and more of a trauma thing? Can you speak to that a little bit? Like in terms of experiences that people maybe have? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So again, with grief, it's going to be some type of loss experience. So the most common thing that I see in my office is someone losing a family member or a close friend. Um, and also I see a lot of people who experience grief connected to like a relationship breakup. Um, and so again, like kind of the trajectory of that grief is, you know, the grief is going to probably start at the onset of the loss, right? When that person passes away, when the relationship breaks up or is over kind of thing. And then from there it could last um, anywhere from like, again, a few days to um, textbook stuff will kind of tell you that grief can last as long as a year. And so kind of slowly working through that feeling, again, going through those various stages of grief, which I won't get into that right now, but my caveat with the stages of grief is that they're not linear. Um, you're going to bounce around a lot in that process, but kind of going through that and having a gradual shift towards feeling better. Um, for everyone, that's going to look different, but it is kind of like more of that gradual shift to looking be to feeling better, right? Um, on the trauma side of things, again, like life-threatening experience, uh, one thing that I work a lot with is abuse. And so that could be childhood abuse, whether that's physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, any of that kind of stuff, or abuse that happens in the context of a romantic relationship um, uh, that can be very life-threatening and or feel very life-threatening to the person when they're going through it. And the biggest difference with that kind of experience is that those symptoms or those kind of like negative things that the person feels uh, there's not there's not much, if any, of that progressive moving forward through the experience or like just working through those symptoms, right? They just kind of are stuck in it and don't really feel like they're getting much better. And so like from like a therapeutic standpoint, when I'm helping someone work through grief, it's mostly me standing by them, standing by that person, like metaphorically speaking and encouraging them along that path and maybe doing some things that can speed them along that path versus like trauma therapy is me like jumping on that path with them and kind of like grabbing hold of them and pulling them in a direction of healing until they can start to move on their own a little bit more easily um, because they are so like stuck in it. I hope that that kind of like answers your question. No, absolutely. Um, it, it, how does someone's perspective play into their experience like of being one of grief or trauma like ha their life experience how does that determine whether or not something might become grief or might become trauma or you know this long lasting grief how speak a little bit about that yeah so again i kind of mentioned this at the very beginning but like loss is something that can often turn or become something that is more like a trauma kind of of experience right 
Um, but again, for some people, it might be a grief thing. So let's say you and I are in a car ride together and we get into a car accident and the person who was with us, a third person who was with us, ends up passing away. Now, you know, you might come out of that experience with some grief and I might come out of that experience with more of like a PTSD kind of response. This is where that perception or, or your perspective makes a big difference in terms of how you experience it, right? So maybe for instance, and this is just purely hypothetical, so I'm not saying it has to be like this exactly, but let's say for instance that I was much closer to that person than you were to that person. So for you, it's a grief thing because you weren't as close to that person, so the relationship wasn't as deep. And maybe the way the accident happened, you were just kind of like removed from the situation or scenario. Like let's say for example that in the accident, you hit your head really hard and you like blacked out for a good portion of like the aftermath of that. Whereas I like stayed awake and kind of experienced the whole like aftermath of the accident and pulling people out of the car and that kind of deal, right? Um, the input that I'm getting is gonna be much more intense than what you got, right? And so that can further impact um, the experience. We could even say that we see the exact same thing, but for various reasons, one of the predominant ones being that window of tolerance that we touched on earlier, you just kind of work through it better than I do. Um, and so because of that, for you, you have that grief. It's like really sad that, you know, this person lost their life and you kind of work through some of those feelings and it affects you in like these certain ways. And then for me, it's like, I get completely stuck in it, right? Maybe I'm like paralyzed the sense of like, I can't even drive anymore. It's like too hard, too much, right? Kind of avoid that accident location, like where it happened, um, things like that. Because for me, it just feels so much bigger because I experienced it in a bigger way for me, right? Not that the actual experience changed. You and I went through the same thing, but how I experienced it was maybe different than what you experienced. And so that's kind of an example of like how that might play out in a grief versus trauma kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that goes back to talking about your window of tolerance as well, right? Like someone's window of tolerance, we may just experience things different and someone may, even though we're in the same experience, someone's window of tolerance, our window of tolerance is most likely is not the same. So the amount I can handle, the amount of emotion I can handle versus you can handle might be different and might kind of affect that. Is that kind of yeah, accurate? Totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, what would you say are some of the most common things you see when speaking about grief and speaking about trauma? What are some, would you say, are some of those examples of, of each both grief and trauma? Yeah. So with grief, again, loss. So loss of any kind. I work a lot with the loss of death, the loss caused by death, right? Like the loss of a loved one, a friend, family member. Um, I worked with a few people who have had like significant pets that they have lost that had a huge impact on them when they when that animal passed away. Um, and then a lot of loss connected to relationships. So kind of like the example you mentioned earlier of not being able to have a relationship with a parent or a family member or even a friend that you wanted to have or that you desperately needed um, or the loss of like a, in the sense of like a breakup such as like a divorce or uh, something like that. Um, those are probably the more common things that I see when it comes to loss. But again, there's like no limit to that. It could be anything. And then with trauma, it's even more varied um, what I see and what comes into my office because of how that perception kind of impacts things. 
um, what could be for one person something that they kind of move past fairly easy could be very, very difficult for another person. Um, and so, man, I've, I don't even know. I've, I've worked with a lot. I've worked with a lot of abuse. I've worked with a lot of um, life-threatening situations. I've worked with ex-military, you know, active people serving in like, like law enforcement or um, medical positions, whether it's like an, an ER case or like a, an ambulance worker, like an ENT, like I've worked with a lot of people who have been in those kinds of life-threatening or really hard circumstances or situations. And so there's, it's hard to say like there's a trend there because it's just, it's so varied. I see a lot with those different things. Yeah, and I would add, um, it, particularly in relationships, affairs, um, major major kind of life events that sort of shift. Sometimes divorces yeah. can be dramatic, um, and sometimes they can also just be grief. Like it, it kind of depends there, but that um, I would I would add that as well as something that I I see in my office with couples specifically that affair being one of those that yeah. unfortunately becomes more of a trauma than, than a grief. Um, yeah. And I would, I call that betrayal trauma. You know, yeah. it's a, that is a very common experience, whether it's like an affair or, you know, someone has an addiction that they've been hiding from their spouse, whether it's like a, a drug use or a pornography thing, but then it comes out like that can be a big betrayal thing and really impact the person. And yeah. So yeah, thanks for adding that. Yeah. And their, their relationship definitely really changes in that betrayal trauma. Yeah. And it, it definitely is, is our relationship is sort of going along and then all of a sudden there's this like giant shift or change and break in what we knew or what we thought we had or knew. And, and it can be in, incredibly jarring, feeling much like a, a car wreck or something major, you know, sort of happening and even have that same, some of those same physical um, experiences of, of trauma like that. But um, what are, what are what is complex grief and what is complex PTSD? I know that's kind of been some buzzwords lately, and um, I've certainly been hearing it more just from society, um, not necessarily in the therapy community. And I'm curious if you can kind of speak to that. What what is complex grief, and what is complex PTSD? So yeah, when it comes to complex grief and complex trauma, really the easiest and first thing to look at is time. So most people would agree that for like on the grief side of things, if you've experienced something within a year, that's very normal to kind of like work through it and process through it. And that after that year point, that's where it becomes more of a, um, a I, I hate to say bigger because it's not really that, but it's a bigger grief thing, right? And so complex grief is going to be something that in duration wise, you're going to struggle with for years probably. Um, and not in the sense of like, it's just hard, the loss is hard, because that's normal, right? But like in terms of the symptoms that you're experiencing, like the anxiety or depression or some of those things we talked about earlier, you just kind of are more stuck in them and your progress is much, much slower working through it. On the complex trauma side of things, complex trauma is similar in the sense that like a, there's a big time factor but the thing that I would add is that the complexity and the intensity of the symptoms is much more. And so people are just gonna have more impacts basically because of what they went through. Like they can't hold down a job or they can't sleep at night because they're having so many nightmares. Or 
it's just really hard to like work through the trauma that they went through because of like how ambiguous or how hard it is to make sense of the experience. So common, like the, the most common example of complex PTSD that I can give is of early childhood neglect and or abuse where the person doesn't really have many memories connected to the experience, but they have all the symptoms of PTSD. And they know that like stuff happened, but they can't really recall it or remember it. It's really hard to work through stuff if you like know something happened or like because someone told you or you have a little bit of memory, but you don't like really recall much and you, you can't work through it because like it happened to you when you were like two years old or three years old or something, right? Like that becomes very complex. And so again, the complex additive to grief or trauma is usually connected to time and or the intensity of the symptoms that the person is experiencing and their ability to like work through it. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing is there's there's a lot of crossover between grief and yeah. trauma and there's it's hard to really pinpoint, okay, well, that's definitely grief and that's definitely trauma. There's, there's just so much crossover, a lot of them being similar symptoms, sim things might be the same. Um, but really when we're, when we're thinking about like complex PTSD and complex grief, we're, that's really the duration thing. Um, but grief or trauma kind of what does it matter? It's more important that a person gets help yeah. moving through whatever it is that they're experiencing. Um, and I love your analogy earlier of, you know, in grief, it's more of, I just need to maybe support my support a person wrap my arm around them and sort of metaphorically walk with them through it and trauma maybe being like they don't even know how to get out of it right and I have to sort of go lasso them or rope them and pull them off of whatever course that they're on and so that being maybe therapeutically maybe a different approach from how a therapist is approaching it but that we might see those behaviors as as far as someone who has trauma versus um, grief, yeah. there might be a little bit more, they, the, the um, behaviors might be a little bit bigger or like might be a little bit more, they might be a little more stuck in them. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been, uh, you've been a wealth of knowledge on grief and trauma today. And I, I think our listeners will be greatly enhanced by listening to this and you know thinking of people that they might everyone experiences grief not everyone experiences yeah. trauma but we all experience this in our lives and know people who have and being able to support those people in our lives is definitely an important thing and and the information you shared today can definitely help that and and so i hope our listeners have enjoyed today and uh, thanks for joining us on our podcast today spencer yeah thank you for having me